So you're all very welcome this afternoon to this chat, which is part of Three Rivers Rising Festival. I'm Ellie O'Byrne. I'm a freelance journalist and arts writer, and I live a 10 minute cycle away up that way. And not to be a cliche, but uh, this is Cork and this is not somebody who needs any introduction in Cork, but I'm going to try my best. So I'm here with Jimmy Crowley. With his band Stoker's Lodge, he first released The Boys of Fair Hill in 1977 and immediately started popularising the street ballads of Cork City. Everybody knows songs like Salonica, Do You Want Your Old Lobby Washed Down, Johnny Jump Up, My Love Is A Tall Ship. Uh, so two albums with Stoker's Lodge and a further 11 albums to his name. Obviously, apart from your own musical career, Jimmy, uh, you've been an archivist and a collector and documenter of songs. And you've kind of done this amazing cultural service to this city in that regard. The Alan Lomax of Cork, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> or maybe not. You can disagree with me. You had the Songs of Cork column for The Echo, which was then The Evening Echo, which started 20 years ago. And you've done a thousand songs for that column, which is just staggering. And then in 2015, you released this beautiful book, Songs from the Beautiful City, the Cork Urban Ballads, which is an incredibly important body of work, not only for the songs themselves, but also for the really beautifully written notes and the origins of the songs. And I think that um, that's just a, a fantastic contribution to the culture of this city. And now you live in Cove with your partner, the songwriter, Eve Telford. Jimmy, we're going to talk about where you are now because you actually said after you released the album that went with this book, Songs from a Beautiful City, that you wanted to take a little bit of a break from the Cork song thing. Is that true? Well, uh, um, yes, that is true, Ellie. And I want to do that. It's very important. And as you get a bit older, it's a good thing, but you, you start to see that... Well, things are you're not going to last forever. None of us will. It's it's just a time thing. So many wonderful things I have to do, and being a folk singer and a folk song collector is is the interesting thing because it, it interested me in other other kinds of music as well that I love dearly and other kinds of projects. So I would be disappointed with myself if I didn't if I didn't um, put the Cork thing is I won't say putting it aside, but just give it a little rest and work on. on and a more contemporary music yeah. agenda and, and, and all kind of plans. I mean, we might do an album of songs from Brit Brittany or somewhere, or, you know what I mean? But like r right now I want to do, um, I, I just finished an album of my own songs and it's like a diary because it's your life and what you, what you feel about and it's, it's not just waking up in the morning and say, I write a song about the cat or something. It's, it's, it's something else that hits you. There's, there's lots of secrets hidden things that connect you with some kind of eternity or something and says, guess right, and this, this is a special um, epiphany day for you. And that's it. And I want to, I'm starting to get the knack of songwriting. There's for the first a huge time. amount to talk about there, there but is. we are going to talk about Cork songs yeah. first. Yeah. Because <laughs> we kind of have to, I suppose. I mean, partly because of the festival that this is and this idea of these three rivers and you're kind of representing the Lee here to an extent. Yeah. So we are, we're going to return to talking about what you're working on currently. 
But um, I do want to kind of go back. Uh, well, I mean, I want to go right back, really, because I, I, it's very interesting that, so like you obviously have Schlieve-Lucre, we expect these kind of wild mountain men of folk to be all around us. But you're a city born and bred and you grew up in a suburban kind of environment, really, didn't you? I did, even though there's a lot of country in me too, because Castle Treasure, or that part of Douglas when I grew up, was... My ma worked as a weaver in one of the mills, and it, it was the two of the mills gave Douglas a kind of an autonomy, like that was unique. And we looked at Shannon and North Cathedral way over the glen in the distance. And when 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 the kids from the town when the kids from town came out, we called them townies. So, so Douglas what, was really like a vill- really like a village. Yeah. What what did that make us if they were townies? <laughs> like it's very interesting, you know, because we weren't cul- we weren't cultures completely like. Like, I could see that even as a young fellow, I could hear the divide in the accent. I mean, there's a, I have a great friend of mine, Dermac, and he's a kind of a country accent. And because he's just about a mile from me away. Yeah. It's totally different. Yeah. And the Douglas accent is a bit different than the, the cities. When I went into, served my time in the 60s at Cabinet Making and Brown Street, which is a marvelous experience. Like, I couldn't get over, the first day I couldn't get over, everyone was, I couldn't get over the bad language from the start, the cursing. And my dad, who I never heard curse, he was as bad as any Yeah, for It's all right, effing and blind, and it was just a speech, but in a very colourful way, like. Yeah. It was like a real cork city wise, you know? Yeah. Different to me, like. Yeah. Isn't Your it, dad isn't came funny? from the north side. Oh, he did Cattle right? Market And Street. he was a, an amateur opera singer. Is that true? Well, he, like a lot of, like most cork ministers, was working class people. Uh, they just loved the opera and went to the opera more than any. City ever, you know. And I saw my dad nearly in tears listening to the the pickup he called it. Yeah. It was a thing connected to the radio, and just like like a needle and an arm, and the music came through the radio. And he was nearly crying listening to the Benjamino, Geely, and Stefano, this and that, and like all, all the areas, you know. Huge emotion and all of that. Fierce so emotion. Let's do them. And he was to explain to me about the orchestra and you know, the cello, you the bass after that and. He he really told me about story anecdotes about um, Caruso and Gili and those kind of famous singers who had to go. Uh, they were Italian, but they had a great, they had a great connection with the people. Yeah. And when they came to Cove, they'd say to Caruso, "Give us an old blast, you know? And he'd sing, he'd sing on the gangway, like, and like and that was a great sign of a man to be able to just sing at the drop of that, you know. It was the popular music of its day, really? Oh, it though, really it? was, really yeah. was. Well. Frank Sinatra probably been Crosby occupied the easy listening, you know. And I, I loved loved that as well. And Dad liked that. He liked South Pacific and and liked he introduced me to the Clancy's like and he loved that was his connection to Ireland, you know, the those kind of songs that the Clancy's did. He loved it. So how did you then, because you sit the sixties, I looked up when you were sixteen, I think that it was it was a Beatles song that was topping the charts that year and everyone was mad for like the rock and roll and everything. How did you end up w- with this obsession with, with folk music and traditional music? Well, one night Dad brought me to a concert with, with Tony Carroll's dad and a couple more Douglas, Douglas old heads and he didn't tell me where we were going. It was the City Hall, as very quickly it was revealed and these four lads, young lads, brightly young lads, bounded out on stage wearing Arden Gansies. One fellow had a kind of, one fellow, most of them were normal Arden Gansies. Yeah. And one of them had a little kind of a, he had a, it, it went into a kind of a pint up there, 
to like a cardigan and that was Tommy Bacon and his accent was different as well because yeah. he was from he was from uh, uh, where was Tommy Bacon from? not Kalekill Kalekill is in Cork but um, Keeley Kale, sorry Cady Town in County up on the border nearly, you know and his mother was a great soul singer and uh well, that night, and when I heard a blazing out of the stage, it was on the gallant highwaymen. I said, hang on, highwaymen are being championed. They're not rogues. They're... It crashed every idea I ever had in my life. Just everything was down the drain. They spoke about Ireland's freedom and like the Wilder Rovers and rakes and, and introduced me actually to the 19th century in a way. And I just never turned back after that. And very soon after, I heard the Dubliners. And like they were like the Tansies with beards, a kind of rougher, but kind of better musicians, you know. And like they were just, and they didn't give a fiddler to anyone. Well, Gay Burden or about the, the president, everybody loved the Dubliners. Ronnie Drew was just brilliant because, like Liam Clancy, he had this loquacious, kind of well-educated, well-read kind of a guy. Yeah. And that that amazing folks. And for quite soon after, I happened to hear people like Sweeney's been. And Neil Toller, I told a lot of stuff now, Ellie, at one time, but Neil Toller came to Cork and he opened a little place called the Paraphernalia in Blackpool and sold leather. If you, well, I mean, you, you might be well off to afford a leather jacket, but you could get a leather, save up for a guitar strap, like, yeah. or a wallet, or buy your sweetheart a little leather tongue or something. He had all that stuff and beautiful coffee, blazing coffee that you smell a mile away. And he would take down the Feistering Banjo and do a little bit of mountain music. So I didn't discover very quick that, hang on, like, it's not just Cork or Ireland. It's, there's, there's such a thing as world music and yeah. all, the, all the ballads. And the ballads about strife, about immigration, about penury. They're all connected. The people are connected. And I, I soon learned about the man you mentioned earlier. I didn't know Max and all those guys came into my life. And, and the folk scene was kind of born and had a huge effect. And then people like Neil, Neil Turner, and Jim O'Donnell, who was the best ballad singer. He had a, a little folk club on a Friday night, and myself and Dee, my pal Dee McCarthy, we used to go in there, and we pretend we were 17 or 18, but we were only about 15, and we tried to make ourselves <laughs> tall. And they'd be old coats, belong to our granddads, and we'd call a pint, and a half pint, please, and <laughs> half pint, please. And meanwhile, Jim O'Donnell would be up, and he'd be singing about Buddy Prince Charlie, Will you know, come back again? Will you know, come? And it was stirring. And I said, who is this fellow, Bunny Prince Charlie? I couldn't understand about, about the schism that was going on in, in these islands between the Stuarts and the Hanover, you know, the, all the songs. And Jim, as it turned out, his dad was from Edinburgh. So he started singing real songs, songs about Hiroshima, about the bomb. And it was just like... You couldn't. It was unassailable, really. Yeah. And there was great people in Cork that time, even the, in the rock and roll scene as well, you know. And so were you playing already? Like, what were, were you playing instruments? Well, that, writing that, your own songs? That came home one day with a five-string banjo without frets. Yeah. A fretless banjo. Beautiful instrument. I wish I still had it. And he gave it to me. He said, look, I don't know how to tune it, but to throw it out. In the skip, he said, I found this. He was a wood machinist, and they had to throw a lot of timber waste, and he found this thing. The banjo, and I got that, and did the guitar at that stage, and there's a guy called Michael Harris, Owen Harris's brother, and we used to go to the Harris's house for great discussions about politics, and singing, and 
Sean Harris played the pipes in the eighth. He was a huge influence as well. So there was Tim O'Donnell, like Toner, and uh, people like Sean Harris, or John Harris as we call him. And he played the pipes and told me about Joe Heaney and told me that there was a place in Ireland where they didn't speak English. And I couldn't believe it. I just, I thought the Irish language was like at mathematics, like algebra, you know, at school, like, that you, this is just a torment, a torture to learn. Mm. But the fact that people spoke it like it's their first language day. And he brought me down to Dun Queen and it, I mean, that was just another baptism of fire. Yeah. So it was really fabulous time. It was, it was just, we had very little money, nothing. We didn't want any money. We weren't interested. Just to go away, maybe save up and buy a tent, maybe eventually go off camping with the lads. Like, that's all we had. When I started playing, you were asking me about, about the instruments. Then I got a mandola and a twisting guitar that cost a bit. So, and uh, we started a band called the Day Harris. How old were you then? 17, maybe. Yeah. And we, we made a record, a single, which we thought that the Beatles would love. So we sent it off to Apple, which just started, you know. And I got a little back with George Harrison's name in it. No, do you still have S it? Saying, I, I don't know, just saying that, oh, very good lads, but keep it up. But not quite, it's yet, but great stuff, great potential. No, Harrison was probably known as director of Apple. It, it wasn't a personal letter from him, but to even see his name in the communication with us, like, Mm. And we'd buy the Beatles monthly, every month, like it was a brilliant magazine, and the draw the whole, the whole, that whole thing. So I had that kind of music, good pop music, really good. The Beatles, the Kinks, I love the Kinks as well. And one and and country John the Fish, and my cousin Smiley introduced me to loads of English songs, English uh, like the, the young tradition, and it's it just. I still, that's, that makes me, that's still me today, like. Yeah. I just look back in those days all the time. It's just fabulous. Moving on a bit to Stoker's Lodge, were you, how conscious were you of preserving? So like you were popularizing these songs, you know, and kind of, I mean, you mentioned the Dubliners there. You did so much for kind of introducing the Cork accent and these songs that otherwise could have just, faded away, you kind of repopularized them and stuff like that. Was that a conscious decision? Was that like, we're, we're going to do this? We're going it to focus Ellie, on it, this? It became, yeah. and thanks for asking me that. Just, I really set out. It was great fun, but it was a crusade. It was a crusade to, to sing in our own accent, not, be, not, a bit, not to be, not to apologize to anybody. So this is the way we speak. We're going to sing, Ronnie Drew when he talks. It's the same as when he sings, you know, and we're, we're going to be the same. And we're going to preserve these songs. And Christy Toomey, who was eventually in Stover's Lodge, she gave me the armored car and said, you sing this in your own accent. So he was a huge influence as well, Christy. And I just set out to, to collect and record in my own accent with a kind of a cork band that would have maybe instruments that were not, not, not copying anybody. No, we copied Sweeney's men at the start. Definitely, and I copied John Lennon and everybody. I have I have early demos that do, and you would recognize me like you know I sound like Robin Gibb maybe in one of them, Chad Lennon and Johnny Wilder from Sweden. But eventually the accent just broke through. It broke through, and we just were very lucky to be asked by uh, Mulligan Records to make an album. Yeah, and Michal O'Donnell produced it, and he he was all for the Cork thing, like even though he was a Tony Gall fellow himself, like he was he backed it all the way, like yeah. I never said like lads, you should. Go a little bit conventional here now, but no, he got us to go the whole thing, the whole album. 
And so, because you have this really distinctive singing style that's very slightly kind of nasal and it's kind of up here and it blends in beautifully with your accent and everything. Did it take you a long time to to find that? Well, you see, I was, I was listening to people like Mick Murphy's granny, like, and she'd be singing, me husband's in, Salonica, I wonder if I... And I know she'd say wonder. Who'd say wonder in Cork? So I, I changed all the vowels to, to that first... Yeah, that so you kind of... Uh, you kind of if anything, you kind of deliberately accentuated it. I probably did, or I probably overplayed a part of it, like. But you could have great fun, Ellie, with it, and that's what I did. And but no, no, I can see that it has a stranglehold around me. Yeah. You said cut no. I mean, I, if I wanted to write like like an opera or something, or try my hand in a string quartet sonata or something like that, or write songs about love or just normal songs about the war or something, in a contemporary sense to get them. Like I lived in America for a while and. I had to compromise a bit over there. Yeah. But how are you going to do it? Like with, with all this, with this big cork ladle on me and all this. Well, I actually wanted to ask you how you even clear all of that because there's a very strong format to these songs. They're they're ballads. They go in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. You know, even with some of them, when you haven't even heard them before, you kind of know how it's going to go. You know, you know, and what's coming next. Yeah. How do you focus on your own songwriting and actually kind of? move all that to one side or do you find yourself accidentally writing songs in the style of all the songs that you've collected well that's a lovely so thing long. to say and I, I i think it i'd be very mean if i didn't acknowledge my roots i mean there's loads of new songs like i did a song today called the shadow of the nagel mountains yeah and it's it's a new cork song you could say it's it's a bit more lyrical and more dreamy more philosophical than than my husband's in salonica which is a narrative political song mm. so i i just I, I've written songs about snowbirds in Florida. You know, people who escape from Michigan and they come down, because I was one of them for a few years. And I wrote a song about the Greyhound bus and about Obama and let bits of bus and over come into it. Like, because I just love that. I love all kinds of music. Yeah. So I just get away with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, life life is fairly contemporary now. But you wouldn't find me, you wouldn't say, you still could say that's Jimmy Crowley, all right. Yeah. I didn't kind of change my voice too much or go But that's a great example of, of trying to cross over, you know. I mean, didn't Paul Brady do it too? Was, was, like he, he was in a folk band called the Johnsons and very successful. And he wrote Heart Station and all them kind of rock and roll. Even we were just listening to the best version ever of I Got the Urge for Going by Johnny Mitch, mm. the Johnsons version. And the two girls, they're, they're Irish accents. I Got the Urge for Going. You can't, I, I think the thing to do would be madness to turn over a new leaf and say, yes, I don't recognise that one at all. Isn't there that very famous Satchmo quote? He says, you know, all music is folk music. There ain't no such thing as horse music. You know, like yeah. in that I sure ain't heard no horse music. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. But like, it's all, folk, it's all folk, right? I mean, like if it's Joni Mitchell or whatever, you know, I mean, all, all music comes from people, surely, so. And uh, the most beautiful thing of all is letting yourself go with it. Letting yourself go with the magic from the cosmos that has directed you and singles you out from all the people in the world mm. to, to match this moment in verse or in music. That enjoy that moment because it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, I don't know all the answers in here. I don't know all the answers. <laughs> well, I am going to ask you uh, one more thing because when we were chatting, we chatted on the phone a little bit and we were talking a little bit about the songs that you might like to remember and talk about. And you mentioned something really interesting was this idea that 
there are all these really strong female characters. Uh, obviously, I mean, you're very, very, you know, very well known that you documented Cathy Barry and the Cold K. Actually, I have really early memories of my dad singing me those songs, that, that song when I was a kid. But um, you mentioned a couple of other songs there, and one of them was this incredible one uh, that I bookmarked here for myself, uh, <laughs> which is the Pride of Sweet Claheen. Oh, and, right. and you know, you knew the, this woman, didn't you? I do. I did. I called into her, yeah. Yeah, I called into her. It was a very surrealistic day in my life. I'm ready to sleep. Someone told me to go there. And uh, I did. And uh, I didn't know what I was looking for because I was too young. It was, you Someone know, told you to go and visit her, is it? Well, I didn't know about, like, I didn't know, academically understand ethnomusicology and that she was a kind of a source singer. Or, she was actually a very committed uh, Political activist, like a soldier. She wasn't. She wasn't coming a man. Yeah. Which is the female version of the area. Like, what was her name? Well, it was um, Maria, Maria, and Mary Bowles. She used both Maria and Mary. Yeah. And uh, if you go up to the right through Blarney Street to the very end of it, yeah. And you certainly go out in the country, you'll see a little statue in the middle of the road. Um, I don't know if it's a religious or a political statue at the stage, but you can go out to Sunday as well to the left or go straight on towards Blarney, Kerry Pike. Yeah. It kind of starts there. Okay. And she was uh, really, um, really a, a, a rebel fighter. Well, she, she was hiding a Lewis machine gun at 17 years of age in the bushes and the tans came along and told her to stop. And she kept going. She just didn't resist. And they lifted her. There's a quote here from the Cork Examiner that's absolutely incredible, that's in your book, that you document in your book, in the notes on the song, The Pride of Sweet Claheen, and it's dated from January 17th, 1921. And it says that they were searching uh, the people who were, um, who were captured when this Lewis gun was found. And it says... Nothing of an incriminating nature was found on any of the men, but Miss Bowles was found to be wearing under her blouse steel body armour strapped to her shoulders and fastened at the sides. She was also in possession of a service revolver and an automatic pistol loaded in every chamber. Loaded in every chamber. <laughs> she just sounds like the most incredible no, person. So how old, like you met her? I, you went and called out to I, her? I met her, I met her. And how old was she then? Uh, let's see, you know, she's about 70. Yeah. Kind of way, you know. She also had a very strange boyfriend called Texas Dan. <laughs> Texas Dan was his name. And, like, in those days, it wasn't, you know, you couldn't be cohabiting, like, too much, like, especially at that age, you know. But she didn't give a damn about anything. And she, uh, she was, with, lived with Texas Dan, who was, uh, believed in, in, the, in the fairy world. You know, he said to me, and I, I tell you this, this is the strangest thing. He said, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what I saw out the window last night. Or two nights ago, was it, was it, was it Pig? And he asked Pig, who was Maria's sister. Was it two nights ago? That's right, boy. I was abroad, moonlight night. She said, I was looking out the window, and they were at it. Heavy at it, he said. And I never saw such blight. I never saw such hurling. He went on to describe a fairy hurling match. A fairy? Yeah, between two different factions of fairies. And they're belting and scalping yourself. 
Do you think that we're losing those types of characters from around the place? Those kind of really idiosyncratic I characters. don't know there's fierce characters with those still. Yeah. There's still fierce characters with those. Yeah. Isn't there? Like, I don't know. There's a lot. I think that there's a lot of um, kind of conventionality now or something. Like young people seem quite conservative. Not politically conservative, but quite inclined to just kind they're of They're controlled. The they're controlled yeah, a bit yeah. more. They're very aware of what other people think. They'll be given a few, they'll be given a few kind of uh, sweet meats like to keep them happy, like they, they think they have great freedom, you know, and they have more than we had. But it's not real freedom either. Do you know what I mean? There seems to be real freedom in some of the stories in this book and in your stories of kind of, you know, being down around the Colquay, going into Catty Barry's, getting big feeds, staying really late, having to walk home after oh, all of geez. this stuff. You know, oh, seems to be a lot of freedom in that. You know? Well, I never forget the day I remember the town with Sam Collins and he was a great man to make up songs. He's quite a few of his songs there. And we met Catty Barry herself like and she had this aquiline kind of... Uh, kind of Romanesque Italian kind of look. My dad said she was one of the most beautiful women in the city of Cork. Well. And I met beside Mrs. Moore's pub in Down Square with Willie Harrington. Willie was there, the Cork artist, great friend of mine. And Sean, uh, the, the, the son of the Banity. And we were just chatting away. And she's, I, I had always written a song about her. And I gave her the ballad sheet, the bra. Oh, I give that to my relatives in Livington Spa, she said. Livington Spa, they'll all have this. She was very proud of it. And she brought us back down to her house in the coal can and cooked up the father and mother of a fry, big fat sausages and rashers and black pudding and liver, and gave us a couple of oranges for the road because all the buses were gone, we couldn't afford a taxi. Mm. We shang smeared it back out of Douglas House. <laughs> Right, that was a golden day, a golden day. And I don't know, is that kind of freedom there anymore? Or would, it, would people today even want that freedom? Like, <clears> Well, the other thing that's interesting that I wanted to ask you about is about this the whole thing of how we remember stuff. Because isn't one of the tools of, of songs, of folk songs, as a memory aid is to remember people and to remember sequences of events? Am I, you mean the words of the songs? Yeah, you know, like that often, like, so you have sections in this book that are, you know, that are actually like skipping rhymes, children's rhymes, and then there's all like football songs and all sorts of things. But there are a lot of songs that are framed around commemorating like one person, you know? Well, I think it's a lovely thing to come to give somebody, there's a section in that called Heroes and Heroines or something like that. What do I call it? Hello, John. Good to see you. Next time, Nanny, we just never say hello to me. Ah, great, lad. Great. We just doing an interview here for the for the. Sorry, no, you're okay. No, you're you're fine. You're staying in as well. (laughs) (laughs) You can be in it. Feel free to sit down if you want to. Good talk to you, Jimmy. Hello, Jor. Hi, boy. Hello, old timer. Good to see you. This is this is Ellie. Hi, how are you doing? We were just talking about how wild things were long ago. How different they were than today. We Jor used to follow Mox Pub. At four in the morning, we'd be coming back from maybe Sligo. And we said, the point to be nice now, four. <laughs> said, Are you crazy? He said, he'd be cleaning up. No, he'd be still there. And we'd have, we'd have, we'd have one of the very first people to have a mobile phone. We'd have van phone, it'd be heavy thing. Um, one of those big, massive... Oh, massive, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mr. Crowley and Mr. Desmond, everyone, because any chance of a couple of nice libations. <laughs> yeah, come on along, so but don't be quiet, like. You tried to um, retire to Florida, is that right? I did, yeah. Uh, I don't know what got into me. 
You know those things you're doing. Did you want the warm and weather? I, I was kind of split off. My first wife, Evelyn, a lovely, lovely woman. I always love her. And uh, I just said, I have a green card. What do I want? I have a chance. I'm not, not ancient yet. I'd just go away for a few years and see what happens. It was good for me. You know? I bought an old Rick of an old mobile and bought a uh, lovely two-bed two apartment in a place called Dunedin, Florida. On the west coast, mm. and I met a few girls yesterday. I was playing on the court for one of the liner gigs, and they're, they're, they're living quite adjacent. And we had a great chat. Yeah. So it's nearly impossible to get a place there now. Like. So wh- why did you come back? Lonesome. Missed the place. I missed yeah. Cork. I missed talking to all fellas about boats and missed my family and missed every whole thing. Yeah. Couldn't do it in the long term. Came back no, to Cork. Came back. Yeah. Is, has it been a kind of a bind? You know, you were saying there, like, you want to escape from it in terms of songwriting and everything. It's a small town in a lot of ways. We've just had two people come over to say hi. You're known everywhere. Like, you can't you can't be escaping it. Is that annoying sometimes? Uh, well, to, to, I, I'm just really haunted with, look, that this is happening. It's the most beautiful thing, really, with people. I used to get kind of... Um, a bit more short-tempered when I was younger, but thank God I'm a bit more com- you know, complain, com- compliant now with the people. And when people come up to me, I don't say, ah, this is my private time, or I'm having a meal with my sweetheart. Or whatever. No, I just talk to people the best I can and just get through it. It's just, you know, it didn't cost a lot of effort and work to to get a certain, an accepted kind of a profile that people like. And it's a lovely thing and it can't be bad. And I should embrace it rather than to cry it, you know. Mm. So I try to be as mannerly as possible. Well, I've heard stories about my past when I was very nasty and uh, I can't believe it. But Actually I, nasty? Yeah, I met a fellow there recently, and he's, uh, like about two years ago, I met this guy and he said, hello, I said, hello, how are you? I hope you're in a bit better form now. I said, I'm in great form today, he said, really. Well, Jesus, did you were in such great form about 10 years ago? When you came out, I was staying with a friend out in Donnybrook. You came out one morning, he says, and, and you effed me out of it, he says. Effed, how dare you to, to tell me to fick off and all this kind of thing. But I said, look, I, I said, I'm very sorry if I did this inexcusable, but you know, I may, may have had only been bidden or maybe I had to move the car to get or something like that. It was mm. probably, I was in good form. Like, and I was probably still, I didn't want to talk about my career, like, you know, the next, the next song and all the, <laughs> the yeah. next album, you know. Um, but it's still, it's still wrong. And, and you should, I should really have said, well, have, let's have a, a little, give this man a minute or two anyway, you know? Yeah. Well, real, real people do. I have a great story about John Wayne and he was with the usual, People like you know Frank Sinatra and those guys knew they were having having their steaks somewhere, somewhere, and just just when the conversation was getting really the old boys and having a great crack, this woman came up and said, "Would you mind please taking a photograph, Mister Wayne?" And one of the, the famous trio that was there said, "Tell her to fuck off, you're having your dinner." He said, "No, boy," he said, "Just women like that made me every every dollar that I made, people like that on the way up to." Mm. I'd love me and you know. Yeah. So it's a good, a good, a good lesson, I think. You know, Eddie. But you've steered clear of. You've been quite critical of the kind of structure of musical success, or how that, how fame and all pop and all of that stuff, and how it is. And you've opted for something 
really different for yourself. Like my mom told me she saw you, like she was doing a market. She saw you a couple of years ago, just come down and start busking. Oh yeah. The markets, because you just felt like doing I, that. No, I, do, I actually played in farmer's markets quite yeah. a lot. I love it. I love it. And I think about people like Maggie Barry, street singers, you know, who were really my, my heroines and heroes. And, and just closing your eyes and singing a ballad on the street, an old ballad, like, like, like on Road, hat now. And you could see how the revolution started in the street, like, with songs like that, and rebel, really rebel songs, you know, truthful ones. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's things about the pops. I mean, we'd all love to be famous and have a manager and really, I'd love that. But, I just mean to have to make the most of my, my own resources, you know? Yeah. Friendships and... Would you really love that though? I mean, it's, um, it's a huge amount of pressure. I don't know, Ellie, for sure what it would be like, but I know friends of mine who are doing very well, a little bit better than me, and they have managers and agents, and I tell you, all the pressure is off, and they can concentrate on songwriting, and they don't have to go through the ignominy of falling up, can I play in your place, your festival? And I hate to say, but there are people who hate to say no and who love to say no to you. They said, no, we can't have you to share with you. Yeah. They, they, they like to show how they're, you know, curating the festival, you know, putting their stamp That's a great word, curating. And that, that's, their, that's nice, you know. But people like to say no to you in power, like they do. People running TV shows. So people are just great. Yeah, we try it, you know, we'll give a break. Yeah, but it's not, it's not easy. It doesn't get easy like with age either. And speaking of age, I wanted to ask you about writing songs, your own songs, and being, what are you now, 72? 71. 71? Mm -hmm. 71. Does that change things as a songwriter? Do you have different stuff to draw on? How you do. It is wonderful to have the experience and mm -hmm. have the wisdom and not have to apologise to anybody and just say, this is the age I'm at now, this is... These are my concerns right now, and I can, you know, I don't have to be put on this kind of false, young and beautiful thing, you know. It's great. Great being old, really. <laughs> Do you think you can be more honest? Oh, definitely. Why, oh, why is that? Uh, it's like if you look at any probable literature or books on TV, you'll see the old guys and the old ones, you know, even old ballerinas, old successful people. from. They're just so much more honest and more interesting. With age, you know, that mm. they were, you know, it's, it's great, like, it's fantastic art. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the, it's one of the big ones in, in, in music is one of the untackled things is there's a lot of, there's a lot of ages and, and there aren't enough. I don't think there are enough older songwriters. Like, I just think it's incredible. I went to see um, Judy Collins. I went to see Judy Collins. She's great. Jesus, she was absolutely incredible. You know, and she, it's the, just everything. And he, and not, she hadn't lost her vocal power. Her voice had changed. Yeah. But she, and she was just living on the stage. There was no dishonesty about, she just was there, you know, and it was I all. I don't have seen her. Oh my God, it was incredible. It was in the Triscoll a couple of years ago. Was she on her own, like? Like she had a band with her, oh, but it was just Judy Collins and a small band. And it was absolutely one of the most amazing things I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah. And yeah, it's a pity we don't have, um, more of that. that that's it no, I, see, I see where uh, Peggy Seeger is playing in this mm. November this weekend yeah with, with her nephew or her, her son or something or grandson maybe isn't that wonderful yeah it is yeah and she's very real too she's a real person you know? yeah folk music attracts a little bit more realness it seems to always oh, be no, it's much, much more real why is that it's much more real because we listen to the old singers and the old recordings and travelling people and 
you know, they're, they're not, they're not trying to cut fame or fortune or image or dress a certain way. It's just, they've dropped all that. It is that baggage, like where you have to look, look a certain way, which is really hard on young girls trying to make it nowadays, I think, you know. They should actually just throw it off. Be dress as Maggie Barry, like. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. just be, be subaltern, like. Mm. Rebel against that. The business is still there, you know, the, the music business still is, it's not healthy, you know. I mean, I, I, my, one of my favourite artists is, believe it or not, Bert Bacharach, you know. Wow. I, I just love Bert Bacharach. Why? Because well, he's, he's written the most beautiful melodies in the world, like ever, like, the look of love. For Dusty, you know, for everybody, like, and the bossing over. You see, this is, I want to explore this kind of music too, you know, and it's hard to do that, like, when you're singing. And people especially just sound like me as been in so long. <laughs> but anyway, I'd have to just blend them in. But uh I mean Bert Packard might love something like or Johnny Zumbo if he might get a great kick out of it. Yeah. But he said I saw him one day being interviewed about the old days and working with that is it Martin, that guy who who did the lyrics for him and and they just had a warehouse, they just we did the work in the morning at nine and had a tea break at ten and went home to the wife like for his lunch and went back to work. And he said some days there was a song, more days another, and maybe we might write it all, but we keep walking away there, and he became very famous. And the interviewer asked, asked him, like, was it very happy days? He said, yeah, lovely times, and walking with, like, the black singers, especially Rita Franklin, which he honoured me, was recording one of my songs, and, so, and he said, it was just, he said, incredible. And then a man asked him the big question, what about today? Thinking, like, today was great. Well, there was a, I could see a storm pass over the man's face. There was a storm. He, he said, oh, let's not go there. He said, it's not, not a healthy place. Mm. He wrote us completely in one half sentence to cry the whole music business today. That you can't win. And that's the thing to realise. If you're honest and totally original, was it Plato or Socrates decreed four or five things, four or five tenets that you, you whereby sincerity in art can be. Is it original? Is it from the heart? Is it didactic? In other words, does it do the community some good? The sound. And there's nothing in today's sounds that have even one of them like. And that's what I think that's what Bert Becker said like that it's just you don't want to go there like just take demons and take them over. You know, they control the backing tracks and the image and all that. Mm. No I know. Wow, that's that's there's really, a few really people that even break yeah. through. The Good people like yeah. Jolie Mitchell, but she's from a different time, like yeah, like Kate Bush. I mean, they're they're not from that. Oh, they're from back there, you know. But are you sure that it's just that you're not seeing it, you know? Because we all we grow up with our music and then we age with our music and then we don't really understand what comes after us. You know, there are these kids. There are loads of you know there are you know, 17, 18 year olds, kids making or very earnestly making what's coming out of them. They don't know that they're reflecting a culture, but none of us, know. you know, I mean, like a lot of this, a lot of the songwriters have been unaware of that. So like, are you sure that it's... There's a lot more, there certainly is a lot more than I, I give it credit for. And I should be a bit more open-minded because when I do look and even, I mean, fellas like me who are in, in the music business full time, I should listen to the top time every week. I should sit down, no matter how, I, I should listen to it. Because it tells, it's, it's, it's very, really bad it's really informative though, about where we're it going, is, what's yeah, cracked yeah. in it. Because there's always something good too, always something good. Yeah, there and is. Hear, when I hear 
a young a young group or a young girl or a young fella singing it. It's really nice, sweet pop yeah. song. I love it. I love yeah. it. I want I want there to be to to, to I want it to exist like. I want You've to also that. come through a kind kind of waves of folk revival as well, because you know, you were in the like Stokers Lodge were in that really big like peak of one particular wave, but then it kind of really lulled again. And then I was interviewing, you know, Rady Pete from Lancome. I don't know. Do you know her? Don't I do. I know her. I know Rady. And uh, she, she said a beautiful thing to me. She said she used to go down, play the box in the little session. She did it for years and years from when she was a kid. And to her, it wasn't cool. It was part of what she did. And then one day she looked up and she saw all these art college students, <laughs> and all these people with kind of mad hairstyles and all dressed yeah. cool and stuff. And she, she kind of pinpointed that to a couple of years ago. And there seems to be a kind of a new coolness <coughs> coming back for folk. Well, there's a there's a brilliant night in Dublin City on Sunday night in uh, the cobblestone by very young people, and it's their chance to show that we we love the old folk songs. It's called the night before Larry was stretched, which is a famous Dublin ballad, and everybody's about eighteen or nineteen, you know. Yeah. And I know some old singers that go in there and they said, Jimmy, even yourself should go there. And uh, we're going to, yeah. to see it, but it's supposed to be a brilliant article. There must be good stuff happening out there. There's probably a revolution happening in some garage where we are. What do you do when you hear new, a new folk band and it's like a regurgitation of the Dannon? Oh, brilliant, like. Or the Butty Band, you know, that they're, the card structures, the kind of arrangements, are, you know. you know. When, is, when are you going to get something really new, like? Yeah. In folk or in anything. Doesn't music always have to evolve? That's always the problem, isn't it? With folk is that there's the purists and that's all just about preservation and maintaining things how they are. And then there is the 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 moving on and the people who are melding new things. I mean, I see a huge like folk punk thing. Like there's a band called the Deadlians. There's the Mary Wallopers. I don't know if you've seen them around. The, you know them? I, heard, I did. I hear them. Um, you know, and they, they, they start, they start with punk and then they kind of bring in all, and all of the stuff you were saying about like folk music exposing injustice and, yeah, you know, yeah. and there's been like this austerity era, kids growing up recently and all of that. So maybe it needs to evolve. I don't know. Um, I, I completely agree with you, Eddie. I completely agree. I just would love to, yeah, to be lovely not to divide the generations. We've got the generations together. Yeah. To be great. Well, well, hopefully enjoy. festivals like this do something good in, in that sense and bring new audiences. I just have one final question for you. Thank you so much because I've taken up so much of your time. Oh, I just pleasure. want to ask you about this My unreleased pleasure. album that you have. So you have an album that you've... <coughs> recorded and is good to go. I got my way again and I wanted always, I did it once before with, with, tall, with the tall ships, but I have a lovely string section, real strings like cellos and violins and they're coming in like, you know, it's just, it's just gorgeous. I just love that. So, and I, I um, what can I say about it? It's just my life really in America when I lived there for a while and in Ireland, it's just my life. Like just. And the album is called Life. It's I called think. Life. I'd say it'd probably sell two copies, you know, when it comes out like, I, I don't know. Because it's, it's not like... I'll buy one. Would you, Joe? What do you mean? <laughs> Joe Kelly will buy a copy. Would, Joe, would, you buy, would you buy a vinyl copy? I would, 
Well, are maybe, you releasing it on vinyl? I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And maybe bring it out like 500 vinyl copies and just go all out to sell that for money and maybe. Yeah. Because I don't know, CDs are kind of no, lost. No, people aren't really doing CDs anymore, are they? There's only really a future for CDs. We still a few at gigs still. Yeah. Well, so you have it. You just don't have it. It's, you have no release date for I could for play you idea. tonight. I could play you the master now. Finished master. Yeah. But that's all I have. An invisible copy of the album. Yeah. You know. Anything else happening? Anything else up your sleeve? Well, Busy the big thing is, is, is the, the, the album with Eve, my partner. We're doing an album of traveller songs. Songs learned from the Irish travellers, oh, wow. the oral tradition, that have that deal with, 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 with kind of, I won't say medieval, but old narrative themes like the fairy tales. They call it child ballads because they were collected by a guy called Francis Child, you know, yeah. the Yank. Yeah. And they're, they're origin, most of them are Scottish in origin and English. And it's just amazing to find that the Irish travellers have them in their repertoire. Fantastic. So songs like, uh, songs like, Charlie Barden, false lover John, and it's great, great, timeless themes about dragons and about night, devilish knights of the road, trying to, you know, it's fabulous, fabulous stuff. Yeah. All the stuff that we love to read about, too. And are you recording that at the moment? Or? We are, we're recording it at home. Fantastic. We're, we're both In your home studio. About half a true, for me. I guess for half is true, maybe not quite half to half. Maybe. Yeah. And it's going to be, we're deliberately going to keep it minimalist. We're going to keep it in a way that we can reproduce it on stage. Like, maybe just bazooki and two voices, but we might have a little undercurrent of a keyboard away down, maybe a synthesizer or something, or a second bazooki. But it's going to be more or less what you'll hear on the night time. Nice. That sounds incredible. Thank you so much for doing this. Tomorrow I'm going to be back and I'm going to be in Henchy's talking to Owen O'Reavig, your former bandmate from Stoke Give my very best. Uh, and thanks so much to Joe Kelly and Live at St. Luke's and this lovely festival. And thanks so much to you.